Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to episode 327. We're going to continue on on the development of woodwork in the history of the world. And much of it's centered around England, the development of woodwork, the development of woodworkers, wood techniques, etc. So let's, uh, let's take the next progression. We talked about oak and uh, walnut furniture. Now we're going to it's going to move into the age of marquetry furniture. Marquetry, considered as an art, neither originates nor evolves in England. It comes from Italy, Germany, and Holland, fully developed. Perhaps with technical methods imperfectly understood by English workmen. And it is in these methods and processes only where definite evolution does take place. Style and marquetry also undergo certain changes shortly after the art is introduced into England. In fact, the typical Dutch inlay is never literally copied. The distinction between the work of the two countries is immediate and apparent. Before considering this development in style, which was quite rapid, it may be well to point out what marquetry really is. Marquetry implies an inlay, but inlay is not necessarily marquetry. The idea of inlaying one wood into another is ancient, but the method consists of chopping one or more woods into a solid ground. In England, as early as during the reign of James I, we find oak pieces inlaid in this manner. And in Germany and Italy, intarsia work is much earlier still. In addition, the inlay is actually cut with a fine marquetry saw, but it is in the chopping into the solid ground that inlay differs from true marquetry. The laying of small veneers inlaid with patterns in various colored woods presents no great technical difficulties to the maker of furniture at any period. And in Stuart, oak cabinets and chest, where the inlay is cut into the solid, some areas, such as the beds and pilasters of the panels of doors or the backs of chairs, are often veneered in true marquetry fashion. The unknown art consisted of laying of large sheets, such as the tops of tables, and these were seldom, if ever, attempted prior to about 1670. The following account of the processes of cutting and inlaying marquetry will show the nature of these difficulties. The marquetry cutter begins with a carefully drawn design, in line, without shading or coloring. The design, when completed, is pricked, that is, the lines are finely perforated with an instrument having an action similar to that of the modern sewing machine. This perforated design is the master pricking and is carefully preserved. To duplicate from it, a sheet of white paper is placed underneath of the master pricking and is lightly dusted with a pounce consisting of a fine bitumen powder which tied up in a rag, the powder escaping through the rag only when the pounce is thus beaten and also through the perforations or the, the weave of the pattern, printing off on the white paper below. The next stage is burning in. The powdered replica would wipe off in the ordinary way if rubbed, 
To prevent this from happening, the sheet is laid on a plate and heated or just below the scorching point. When the bitumen powder burns into the paper, it becomes permanent. Several of these pouncings are taken, one for the other veneer ground, the others for cutting up according to the number of colored pieces used for the inlay. The marquetry saw, being extremely fine and thin, is held in a wide bow frame. The farther the traveling end backwards and forwards as a guide rod. Veneers, either for ground or inlay, are usually cut in layers of four, with two outer or waste pieces to take up the rag of the saw. All the layers are temporarily secured together with headless nails, known as veneer pins, hammered in outside the design. Of course, and the cut-up portion of the pounce design is pasted onto the face as a guide to the cutter. Unlike other shaping operations, where the saw follows the line and the wood remains stationary, the marquetry saw has only the backward and forward action and the wood has to be moved so that this design may be followed. To hold the wood rigid and to prevent splintering, the packet of veneers is secured in a vise or chops, which may be opened or closed by the action of the foot. Complete with its sitting bench, the whole apparatus is known as the marquetry cutter's donkey. The size of the pieces which may be cut some are limited by the length of the saw bow or tape or say a tabletop or say uh, three feet by two feet cannot be cut at one operation. <coughs> if we examine the top of this size, it will be found that the design has been so arranged that the ground may easily be cut into separate sections. Sometimes the ground could be just cut in half and you're making um, a duplicate of what you're cutting. You're making making two, you open it up or kind of like uh, opening a book. So some, some actually happen in halves or in quarters at one operation, in layers and then put together. This obviously necessitates a balanced design, which a lot of marquetry is a balanced design. So after ground and inlay have been cut out, the next operation is putting them together, which involves only a following of the original master pattern. To keep the hole in place, the pieces are assembled jigsaw puzzle-like fashion and may only be edge glued so that a, sh a sheet may be handled without falling the pieces. Paper is pasted on the face side of the complete veneer. In some examples of marquetry, there is another operation, that of sand burning or shading, which must be Proceed the putting of or must precede the putting of the, the uh, of this quote jigsaw puzzle together. Above a fire, usually a gas ring, a flat tray filled with silver sand is placed, and into the hot sand the tips of the pieces to be shaded are inserted. These pieces must be of light colored wood, such as holly or boxwood, otherwise the shading will not be evident. At the point of contact. With the sand, the yellow wood will be scorched to a deep brown, which shades off into the natural color of the wood. A laurel banding, thus shaded, such as found on many of the examples um, in French furniture, 
gives a remarkable appearance of relief. So this shading uh, or burning is creating a three-dimensionality. But the French really um, solidified this, and then the, the English started the copy. The complete veneer, with its inlay, when thus finished, is handed over to the cabinet maker, whose prov province is to glue or lay it onto its bed. Before following the next operation, there is one point in connection with the actual cutting, which is very, very interesting. So as showing a natural technical evolution, and in such an art prog progress in method must be, be some indication of date, as the apprentice efforts could certainly be the earlier. Ground and inlay being cut from patterns pounced from the same pricking should fit exactly into each other. If cut precisely to the lines, but human error is against such exactitude. And in the earliest work, this close fit is not found. With the passage of time and the gaining of facility in cutting, English marquetry improves in this particular. And then, quite suddenly, we find exact fit, coupled with apparently careless cutting, with scrolls ill-shaped and lines distorted. So one must assume that something of premier importance, the master craftsman would be both drawn and pricked with extreme care. It is the cutting which goes astray. But in the, <coughs> but in the later marquetry, if the lines of the inlay are cut in the slovenly fashion, so of those of the ground, and to exactly the same degree, so that one fits into the other perfectly. So how has this happened? The cutter has simply discovered the secret that is ground and inlay are cut in one operation. Any inaccuracy in one must have its counterpart in the other. So it makes it a little bit less noticeable. To make this, this quite clear, draw out a pattern on a sheet of white paper. Place a black sheet behind and, at the same time, cut out both with scissors. No matter how carefully the pattern has been followed, the black inlay must fit into the white ground precisely, and we obtain in the pieces which fall out a reverse pattern, known as its counterpart, of white inlay in a black ground. It is advisable to remember that this counterpart, or reverse, the marquetry cutter does not throw away. If a pattern be cut in four thicknesses, four counterparts must remain. If it is cut in four quarters, making one complete design, then one counterpart only will exist. It is curious, with the old work from as early as the first years of the 18th century, especially in the trunk panels of long case clocks, and one finds quite often one the reverse of the other, and the first an inlay of walnut, walnut and holly. For example, the second of holly in walnut. It is not surprising also how the counterchange of color alters the appearance of the design. Two cabinets that we've talked about, the marquetry of the one has the exact counterpart of the other, but close attention is required to reveal that fact. The cabinet maker taking charge of the marquetry top or panel has to prepare it for laying, 
and the first operation is toothing to give a key for its glue. This is done by a plane with a vertically pitched iron, the edge of which is serrated like a saw, known as a toothing plane. This scratches the surface of the veneer in a series of shallow parallel grooves. The next operation is the laying and here are secrets which would be not be readily discussed and were evidently unknown in the early work as certain manifestations attest. Glue will stick only when it is hot and the first <clears throat> and the first four ideas would be to use hot glue for the laying of veneers. This is the initial error of inexperience. The heat will cause the veneer to expand instantaneously and in its contracts very when it contracts it's going to contract very slowly. It is put down in a state of sta uh, strain as it will stick before the con contraction has taken place. The inevitable after contraction will cause the veneer to split. An early marquetry is always found in this condition. With the later filling in the cracks, the proper melt method is a later discovery to use with <coughs> cold glue to lay the veneer and then to apply a hot call which is hand screwed into position before the veneer had time to expand. The heat from the call penetrates the veneer and liquefies the glue bench. Shaped surfaces are laid with the hammer, the veneer hammer, and that's a tool to, um, to an axe with a, with a head fixed transversely. So it's like, uh, it's like a solid brass and iron squeegee to very carefully uh, pressure down all the pieces of veneer you're trying to glue. So, or when, re, or when the uh, sandbag, which takes up uh, any irregularities of surface. With the first method, the veneer expands and contracts again during the actual operation. With the second, as the flat call, it is not allowed to expand at all. The marquetry, then, is glued in position. It is put aside for a week at least for the actual drying of the glue because this is very slow. Being imprisoned under the veneer and partially protected from the atmosphere, the outer layers of paper are then scraped off. It must not be soaked to remove it. The surface cleaned up with a scraper followed by a, a fine um, piece of glass paper, and then the final polish or varnish is applied. So original surfaces always consist of an initial coating of varnish with subsequent waxing and friction. So modern adhesive um, or modern shellac or French polishing is unknown before around 1820. So the English, uh, English marquetry may be reached and uh, put into several classes, but uh, these are here by no means infallible indications to date. So um, I cannot accept these early cases of grandfather clocks as an example as there are many evidences to prove that these were made in Holland and to the order of English clockmakers and therefore to do properly belong to English furniture at all. Typically, the Dutch cases are those with fan and star inlay. Probably the earless English marquetry is that of which the uh, jasmine flowers are used in white ivory with the leaves in the same material 
but stained green. All over patterns or those in separate panels appear at all periods and were, obviously, merely in alternating fashion. It may be stated with reasonable approximation to the truth that as English marquetry develops, it becomes quieter in the tone. The taste of a gaily colored woods and white and stained ivory (coughs) background parts. And we get more subdued assortment of woods with the certification of the predominant flower. So the next and final stage, which shows greater skill in execution, but less in decorative design, is the fine scrolled marquetry, often um, misdescribed as seaweed, which is in no way this stuff resembles. There is another finishing process, that of engraving, which is never found in the early work. To save the trouble of veining with the saw, the 17th century work was done that way. The fashioned and finished piece is first coated with shellac or varnish. Then it is engraved with a small V-tool or graver. After this is done, black wax is rubbed into the engraved lines, and the work is then polished. It is during the later date of the 18th century that this engraving of marquetry is extensively (coughs) practiced. It is never found before 1780 and it is doubtful whether the process was known before that date at all. So had the art of marquetry, cutter, originated in England, there is little doubt that it would have passed through definite evolutionary changes in a progressive order. Instead, it is imported as a fully developed fashion, if not a technical practice, from Holland, brought over by the artisans from the Low Countries, In England, therefore, the older evolutionary stages are merely copied with certain modifications incidental to a change of country. So, and each new importation, whether of pieces or the workmen, must have resulted in additional models for copying. So the inception of the French bull or bullwork of inlay on brass or pewter and tortoiseshell must have been occurred in much the same way. Italy and the Rhine provinces were all the pioneers in the art, and the inlay of colored compositions in marble, which is much older art than any inlay work in wood in Europe, may have suggested wood inlay, and thence to the true marquetry would be only a step in a direction laterally. This seems to prove the truth of the old adage that there is nothing new under the sun. So uh, I hope everyone has enjoyed our uh, our little dissertation of marquetry here, English marquetry, um, going into the uh, the mid-18th century, somewhere around 1780. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Greg Perry, signing out.